Our reading this morning is taken from Acts chapter 5 from verse 1 to 16. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and bought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet, and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches. And at least, sorry, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Well, good morning. Um, Passage about some people who were trying to keep something secret. Now, I need to come clean. I have here some some keys, and uh, I'm now the proud owner of a brand new Kia. Um, I'm not really... Somebody left these keys out on a bench out the front of the chapel. Um, You don't need to come and talk to... or put up your hand and embarrass yourself right now. Come and talk to me later and uh, you might be fortunate to get your car back. (laughs) But we come to a very puzzling passage today that may cause us to question the love of God, question the mercy of God, question the justice of God. Did Ananias and Sapphira really deserve to die? Surely not. 
They sold some property. They kept some of the proceeds of the sale for themselves. They were quite within their rights to do as they did. In fact, they didn't have to give any of the proceeds to the church at all if they didn't want to. So, gosh, this seems harsh. Where's the love? Where's the forgiveness of God? We struggle to see any mercy. God certainly appears to be giving them so much more than they deserve as they they both are struck down and die. Judgment is faster than a speeding bullet. Surely the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Where's the justice in this? And in relation to what we see today, the world that we're a part of today, where there is spin and smear, half-truths, fake news abounds, where lies and hypocrisy thrive, how do we rationalise, how do we explain, how do we come to some resolution here with this seeming inconsistency with God? According to Dr Johnny Hunt, whenever you find great generosity in the church, look for what's next. Look for what's coming. Generosity is a wonderful trait of God's, but the devil is very quick to snuff this out. He longs to keep us in perpetual state of self-focus, selfishness, in a place of greed. And at the end of chapter 4, we read of this generous nature, the encouraging spirit of Barnabas. It's a wonderful story about Barnabas. Immediately what follows is this story concerning Ananias and Sapphira. The first five verses. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing that you have lied? You have not lied to men but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down dead, down and died. And on the surface of it, it it appears that, well, Ananias has done the wrong thing and he's punished as a result. He sins, he pays the price. But it was Satan who had prompted Ananias. It was Satan who was putting his plan into action. It was Satan who was endeavouring to dismantle this idyllic church. A church that was one in heart and mind, sharing their their possessions such that there was no one who had any need whatsoever. There was so much love, there was so much encouragement that the world was really taking notice of what was happening in this idyllic church. You see, there's a whole lot more going on here than an over-exuberant God punishing an insignificant sin. And at first we see Peter, he appears to be confronting Ananias and we would hope giving Ananias an opportunity to repent. 
Come clean, Ananias. It was the Holy Spirit that must have prompted Peter, that had revealed to Peter what was actually going on here, that Ananias had lied not only to them, but to God. He was seeking to deceive the people, but didn't realise that he was in fact lying to God in doing so. And it wasn't the sin of selfishness, but rather deception. Lying was the problem. This was the sin of hypocrisy. And oftentimes it seems that Satan will counterfeit the good things that are happening with something that might look similar in many respects, but is rotten through and through. And this was the case with Ananias and Sapphira's gift. It looked very similar to to that of Barnabas. They too had sold a piece of land and brought the money to the apostles' feet to be distributed to those in need. However, what was the motive? They wanted respect. They wanted favour. They wanted the prestige, in a sense, that followed Barnabas who was a rising leader in the church, they were in fact driven by jealousy and sought to deceive the people, promoting themselves as being more righteous than they really were. They were seeking to present themselves as something that they weren't. And hypocrisy is generally found out for what it is, you know, pretending to be what we're not. It's a deliberate deception. Just as Jesus warned his his followers of the hypocrisy of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira was not about to go unchecked. They were deliberately deceiving the people of God for their own benefit and God's response to Satan's deceptive ploy is immediate. And so the church was about to learn that she was now the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church was the place where God resides and the church was to be holy. The hypocrisy that had so permeated Judaism was not about to worm its way into the church, not at least at this early stage. As Tom Wright reflects on the wonder, the fascination of the early church, he says, if you want to be a community which seems to be taking the place of the temple of the living God, then you mustn't be surprised if the living God takes you seriously. The hypocrisy that so permeated Judaism was not permitted a foothold at this early stage. And so the first act of deception is played out and with swift justice it comes to an end. And we look at the second act of deception, verses 7 to 10. About three hours later his wife came in and not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, it is, she said. That's the price. Peter said to her, 
How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. How many of us have told a lie without suffering any consequences? And so you consider Sapphira. Did she want a lie? Or was she trying to protect herself from shame? Or was she not wanting to betray her husband and she determined not to bring their reputation into question? How many of us have sought to cover up one lie with another lie? And so we need to ask the question, why did God act so quickly and decisively in this instance? God is never deceived. God knows exactly what's going on. God knows when we lie. And although God is never deceived, for he knows all things, people, however, can be deceived And dishonesty spreads like cancer, creating dysfunction and disunity. All trust is eroded when a spouse finds out that their husband has been unfaithful or their wife has been unfaithful. All trust is eroded. If you know that someone has endeavoured to deceive you, then you immediately guard the degree to which you're going to trust them. And the unity and the harmony that exists within the body of Christ, the church, it disintegrates, it fragments, it begins to collapse. I believe this is why God's judgment was so decisive. God was protecting his young and innocent church. You see, the sins of Ananias and Sapphira could have corrupted the entire church if it had gone unpunished and God would not let that happen. The church, the church was God's instrument for carrying the gospel to the world. He was not about to let it be destroyed with scandal. To allow this attempt by Satan to derail the church, to go unchallenged, would have set the entire mission of the church off course. Because the result would have been that deceit, hypocrisy, compromise would have become the norm. Straight away. Still today, however, hypocrisy and deceit must be guarded against. If we say that we're going to do something, then we really must make every effort to do that. Otherwise, we can be seen to be a hypocrite. We must be careful not to just talk the talk, but walk the walk. To have faith is to live by faith. It's how we live. 
If we say that prayer and reading God's word are important to us and we portray that that's what we're doing, then we really ought to be making every effort to do that. If we condemn others for their behaviour or bad language yet fail in these areas ourselves, then we're actually heaping judgment upon ourselves. And so we need to be testing ourselves to see where hypocrisy may be rearing its ugly head. Again, the words of Tom Wright. If you want to be the community which seeks to be taking the place of the temple of the living God, then you mustn't be surprised if the living God takes you seriously. God indeed takes us seriously. And how seriously we take him. Thus we see the result of this event in verses 11 to 15. But verse 11 particularly says, Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. There's a real benefit when it comes to God's discipline. We, we tend to go, I don't, I don't want to see God's discipline. But there's a real benefit. One of the benefits of God's discipline is that we sit up and take notice and we're more serious about how we live. If we see God disciplining a brother or sister, we should sit up and take notice. Be careful how we live. Great fear seized the whole church. And I'm sure that there were people who were now dead keen, excuse the pun, to make sure that they were right with God. That they were right before God. Theirs was not a fear that meant that they were staying away from God, but rather that they were coming near to God. Theirs was a a reverent fear. John Bevere says, The one who fears God is the one who is afraid to be away from him. Afraid to be away from him. They would run from disobedience and be close to God. Such was their fear. Do we fear God in such a way that we're afraid to be away from him? That we run from being disobedient and run toward faithful obedience in him in all things? Do we fear being away from God or are we quite comfortable with that? Three hours had passed and Sapphira comes in and maybe she was looking for a husband. She had no idea what had happened to her husband. I believe that Peter would have wanted her to come clean. He didn't want to lose another member of the church. Sadly, however, she doesn't. She goes along with the story concocted with her husband And she told Peter a blatant lie. You see, deception always leads to further deception. Trying to cover up the previous sin. But shame and guilt needn't control us if we seek humility first. Do we seek humility 
first. And so this was a very, very sad day for the church at Jerusalem. And it reminds us that even the excellence of the New Testament church was not perfect. Even the New Testament church was not perfect. You will never find the perfect church. Sapphira realises that she is caught in her lie and then Peter drops the bombshell that her husband is dead. And she's no sooner heard those words than she too finds herself being transported to heaven and is reunited with Ananias. Just as man and wife were united in their conspiracy, So they were united in the judgment that came upon them and reunited for eternity. Still we cry, injustice! Surely the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Somehow, somewhere along the line, we value justice higher than we do, the glorious hope that awaits us. And we forget that true life and the glory of all that life has to offer is greater by far once we're home in glory, once we're home in heaven. Weren't Ananias and Sapphira so much better off now? In glory with the Father than here on earth? Why do we get so upset when someone goes to heaven? Why do we cling onto this temporary life so tenaciously? Somehow, somewhere along the line, we lose sight of the wonderful hope that we have and become more concerned about receiving justice in this life. As Paul explained how much he he enjoyed working for the Lord, how much he enjoyed serving his God, yet he says this, I desire to to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. I love serving God. I love working for the Lord. But I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. If anyone wasn't receiving justice, it was Paul. But he wasn't concerned about that. So as we consider our hypocrisy, our own sin, isn't it wonderful that God doesn't hold any grudges and that God doesn't hold our sins against us if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Saviour? And I really like what one commentator said about this. David Guzik wrote, The greater wonder is that God delays his righteous judgment in virtually all other cases. Ananias received exactly what he deserved. Sin leads to death. How merciful is our God? He doesn't give us what we deserve. Well, none of us would be sitting here today. 
How merciful is our God. In spite of our sin, God warmly accepts us home into glory upon our physical death. Just as he welcomed Ananias and Sapphira, he will surely welcome sinful you and I. Praise God. Praise God. Have you accepted God's forgiveness for your sin? I trust you have. Has Jesus' death paid the price for your sin? Do you fear God enough that you don't want to be away from him? Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, again, thank you that you are indeed a merciful God. You don't give us what we deserve. And in your grace, you give us so much more than we do deserve. Father, we are so grateful that you are our loving Heavenly Father. And we do look forward to that day when we will be with you in glory, in all of its fullness. Thank you that you are with us in this life. You never leave us nor forsake us. And we thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is constantly prompting us and drawing us to you. May we have a healthy reverential fear of you that causes us that we don't want to be away from your presence that we would seek times of of solitude to get away from the busyness and the chaos of this world and to rest in your presence and so we give you praise and thanks for who you are what you've done for us and it's in jesus name we praise you amen